Gents, pre-season 2024 is edging closer to a conclusion with round one now only 37 days away. I'm Jonathan Walsh and as always I'm joined in the Don the Stats studio by my co-host Ian Hume. Humey, how are you mate? Things are good here Jono, uh, really excited to get stuck into tonight's episode. We'll be getting into what we would like our round one lineup to be against the Hawks. I think we've made some calls on the best side that we were each picked that may get some raised eyebrows from some of the listeners, but hopefully people can see the thought process behind our decisions. Yeah, it's been a, an interesting exercise, hasn't it? We've we've got uh, quite a few that we agreed on, and, and to be honest, probably more than I thought we might have, and and of course some contentious ones where we've uh, where we've gone in different directions. So yeah, it's. Uh, it's been interesting how it's all come together and, and I'm sure our minds will change several times over before we get to round one. Maybe even before the end of the episode. <laughs> well, that's a chance as well. Yeah. Well, look, before we get started, uh, just want to say once again, big thanks to Rick Edwards for joining us last week to talk about what he's seen at preseason training. Uh, we're very lucky he gives up his time regularly to speak with us and the insights he provides are elite. So um, I know we appreciate it and all the listeners who, who commented appreciated it as well. So thanks again, Rick. Uh, our Donnerstat Patreon has been back up and running for a week now, and we've already got some new members. So, uh, again, now shout out to new patrons, Rick, David Jones, Jeremy Friedman, Roger Hayes, Matt Smith, and Chris Long. I uh, want to say thanks for joining our community. Uh, we are working on plans for a new weekly Patreon-only show, uh, so hopefully we'll be able to give some more insight into that in the coming weeks. Uh, finally, we're running our Tip the Season competition again. If you follow the link to the Google form that you find in the description, of this episode, you'll be able to pick what you think the result for every Essendon game this season is going to be. Uh, basically, you stay alive until you have two incorrect answers, uh, and the last person standing will win a Don the Stat t-shirt. We had over 80 participants uh, last year at this, and we made it all the way to round 13 before we had our winner. So it was quite a good competition last year, and there was some really good uh, foresight in terms of people's predictions. So uh, maybe we'll see if we can beat both the uh, number of participants and the round that people get to this year. Yeah, I think I was knocked out quite early, uh, as is normally the way. I'm the world's worst tipster. But uh, yeah, good job putting that together again, mate. It should be good fun and looking forward to having a crack this year. Well, look, no more stuffing around. Let's get straight into the episode. We did the same exercise last year leading up to our round one game, which um, again, focused on who we would pick to play the Hawks in round one. Um, and again, this is not just about what is the best possible side that we can make from the list. We're taking into account the current availability for round one, the level of preparation of certain players, and considering the best side to face the Hawks specifically. Uh, fortunately for us this week, the AFL has confirmed the bench arrangements with four subs, oh, sorry, four interchange players and, and one sub, although changing the way that they're named prior to the game. Uh, so we don't have to change our format or any of the, the writing there uh, in preparation for that. Yeah, the AFL's done us a favour there. So for for those that that missed out on on that rule change, it it is, yeah, it it is as it is last year. Four on the interchange bench plus one tactical sub, which can be made or used at any time. It, it's not reliant on an injury. Uh, so exactly the same as it was in in 2023. That the one change is that teams now effectively name an interchange bench of five and and then choose their sub from the five um, an hour before the game rather than as it was last year where it comes from one of the emergencies. So I, I think um, 
uh, probably doesn't mean a lot for Essendon fans. I think Brad Scott will still try find a way to to change the team and 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 pick a sub from one of the emergencies or, or make a late change as he did frequently last year. But yeah, fu- fundamentally, not a huge change to to um to how the teams line up. It's it's purely just how that sub selected. And then yeah, in terms of this, it, it is very much with the Hawks in mind. And I'm I'm not a big believer in best twenty twos or, or best twenty threes, whatever you want to call it. I, I do think too much changes from week to week, whether that's form or fitness or injury. And and what a, a best twenty two or your team for round one looks like can be very different to what it looks like come round twenty three or, or hopefully in our case uh finals as well. So uh, yeah, we need to keep in mind we also have an opposition. Our round one opponent in Hawthorne plays very different brand of footy to our round two opponent in Sydney. So so the approaches to those games in terms of team selection can be different. I think we have a stronger core than we had last year, particularly given the four experienced recruits we've added to our list. All things being equal, I think that probably gives us around about you know twelve guys that you would think are absolute locks. You know, assuming form and fitness is where it needs to be, they played enough senior footy now to know what you're going to get to them, get or get from them. So I'm talking about you know guys, of course, like Merritt and Parrish and Ridley, McGrath, you know, Redman, Nick Martin. Now I think is is well and truly in that category, and then a couple of our recruits in Gresham and McKay. You know, if they're fit and and their form holds, then then they're playing. And then I think we've got a group of you know 12 to 15 young players who all have claims to a spot in the side but their form will go up and down and, and that's the nature of you know younger players it, it, yeah it can take some time to really find that elite level consistency so I don't think we've got uh, 22 guys yet who who can put their hand up and and expect that they're going to be at a similar level all the way throughout the season and then I think that mix of those young players will be dependent on the availability of of the you know, 12 or so guys that are locks and, and how many of them are fit and playing. And then ideally you'd manage that group through the season to avoid, you know, fatigue and burnout that has hit us in recent years. If we can uh, get to a situation where our list is healthy enough that we don't have to rely on the same 10 or 12 every week to to play and, and we can rotate them through, then I think we'll benefit from that. And then I think we've got some senior age players who are still capable of playing important roles that probably being relegated a bit to depth players this year, but depending on availability, the opposition we're playing, then they can come in and, and contribute. And, and of course, I'm talking about guys like Kelly, Heppel and, and Hines and, and the like, who, you know, are still going to play a fair bit of footy, but but maybe not if everyone's available, uh, are going to walk straight into the team anymore. So, yeah, so this exercise isn't to, to pick our best side. It's an exercise in picking our round one side based on the infor- information we know at the moment. We'll, of course, dig into the Hawks in our round one preview in a lot more detail than we are here. But front of mind for me is that they have a very accomplished key forward in Mitch Lewis, and they've now added Chol and Gunston to that mix. So they've got three you know, key tall marking forwards that we need to be mindful of stopping. They have outside run and quality kickers on each line. They've got a group of strong, albeit young, contested mids. And they've got quality smalls in their forward lines with, you know, Ginnivan joining the club and, and joining the likes of Luke Bruce and, and Nick Watson, their first draft pick from last year. And, and I've been seeing that uh, Blake Hardwick's been playing forward as well. So they've got some depth in those smaller forwards. And we also know that they like to to run with a tagger. So all of those things came into mind with me as I was putting together this team. So should we get stuck into it, mate? Sounds good to me. Let's start with the backs and work our way forward then. Yeah, well, this is one part of the ground that we have come to to some level of consensus, isn't it? We've both gone with the same back six. We've got McKay, 
Ridley and Reed as our three tools. And then we've got McGrath, Redman and Nick Martin as our three smalls. Talk me through your thought process here, mate. Yeah. So I think firstly, the addition of Mackay means that we shouldn't have as many issues with the monster forwards we've had since Hooker and Hurley were playing. Uh, and I think if Reed comes in, that should help release Ridley. I think Ridley has had to play on certain taller players that maybe have been you know, too tall for a Laverde or, or a Baldwin when he's played. Uh, so if you get Reed in with his height and, and his mobility uh, and he does come on like we like we hope, then you suddenly can release Ridley from playing on, say, you know, it's a different team, but an Aaron Norton sort of type. Maybe a Reed can run with him and then suddenly Reed, Ridley's there to be that, you know, real loose, loose defender coming in and intercepting there. I think one of the things that I've, really thought about with the addition of Martin to, to the back line that, that's really been telegraphed through the, the preseason training is that I think we're really trying to move away from relying on leg speed to move the ball from the back line and, and really trying to up our foot skills to open up the ground. Um, I think if Ridley is also released as, with the addition of a player like Reed, suddenly we have, you know, two really high quality ball users to move the ball in case one does get locked down on. Um, and also Martin and Redmond are both threats forward of centre, which means that it's very difficult for teams to zone off them uh, and allow them that that leeway so that they can get into dangerous positions. Yeah, it's a good point. I know we approach this as a what would we do exercise if we were in the selection committee, and I certainly wouldn't have had Nick Martin at halfback, you know, at the end of last season, but it seems inevitable. That's the plan for him now as the preseason has worn on. He's, he's been playing more, there more and more through match sim. So, uh, yeah, for, for that reason and that reason alone, he's he's in my back six. And I, I think the thing that, that does excite me about that is teams did put – more and more work into Mason Redmond last year. And even towards the the back half of 2022, we saw, it probably started in that Giants game um, up at their their cow paddock in, in Western Sydney in 2022, that game where McVeigh uh, coached against us. And, and they really did drag him away from the coalface down back and and kept him super, super accountable. And that, that happened a fair bit at times last year. And, and sometimes he was good enough to, to break it. And other times he really struggled with it. So Martin gives us that second genuine threat back there with ball in hand. He's a player that can open up play by foot and get us through the corridor. He can use his own leg speed to leg speed to accelerate away the same way that Redmond can. But I think unlike Redmond, Nick Martin's really comfortable in congestion. I, I don't think Mason Redmond's always that comfortable at stoppage or or at the contest. And and that's not me saying that he's he's not physical or, or doesn't like it physical. I just don't think he's a, a great, what I call a 360 degree player, whereas Nick Martin's really cool and calm in um, in that kind of environment, which is you know ultimately why I see him becoming a midfielder. But uh, yeah, I, I think that gives us another, I guess, weapon back there. So I think we'll see him you know, playing a really important role at defensive half stoppages as well, a, a position that Redmond's not comfortable in, and, and that gives us a, another option there. Yeah, you're right on that. But I think the one thing that concerns me with Martin in the back line is, I think it's something we've talked about over the last couple of years, is his defensive capabilities, particularly in terms of defensive positioning. I think he definitely improved across uh, this year compared to his first year. Uh, but I am concerned that with, you know, it's, it's not necessarily his natural position. He's not a natural defensive player. There's a concern that uh, that's that's a way that teams will look to play through us. They'll look to play through Martin's opponent and they may feel that they can get an advantage there. Um, 
you know, he's, as I said, he's not the the best defensively uh, and that can come with time and obviously with, with training in that position that that'll improve. But I feel like that's a potential weak spot uh, that could be uh, taken advantage of by opposition teams. One thing we do know about him, mate, is he's going to put the work in to improve and develop that part of his game, isn't he? So, uh, yeah, it, it's a concern for me too, but I, I'm also confident in what we hear and see of him that he's going to to leave no stone unturned to improve that part of the game. I think where he's a bit different to say, uh, you know, someone like Ridley uh, is he's not going to drop off. He uh, will use him to play on the opposition's high half forward, which means that in in all likelihood, he's almost going to play as a as a midfielder anyway. So you know he'll be rolling up to to a lot of the contests anyway. So I don't see it necessarily as a situation where um, where he's going to sit back and try and intercept, and his and his opponent will get free and, and pick up ball. You know through the uh, sort of the the forward or the opposition's forward half of the of the midfield. I think it's more a case of he'll be up there at the coal face with them. And, and, and as we win the, the ball back, he'll be trying to be a, a real offensive threat for us. I, I do think the other thing that we're going to have to work really hard on is that handover because teams will try and drag him back like they have with Redmond in the past. But what this does give us is the opportunity to have a bit of a one, two counter punch drag Martin back and either switch over and hand over to Redmond or Redmond just goes and, and plays that role and, and it gives us another option. It's sort of going to be harder for opposition teams to lock both of them down. Mm, agreed. Uh, so tell me, mate, how long did it take you to write Zach Reed's name down and, and did anyone come else come into the picture for that? You know, I'm assuming McKay and, and Ridley for you were, were absolute locks as they were for me. Did you uh, deliberate much on, on Zach Reed in that sort of third key tall position? I think if you asked me three or four weeks ago, I probably wouldn't have picked him uh, just because, you know, he hasn't played enough footy and, you know, we've got concerns over his body. And But I think over the last, you know, three or four weeks, reading the training reports from from people like Rick um, and the other people that are generous enough to to post their their training thoughts, it does seem like he, he's in really good uh, state with his body. Uh, it does sound like they're really working hard to build the connection between himself and, and Mackay. They seem to be on the same side uh, of any match sim that, that's being run. I think that helped me there. And then I guess it's just another big point of difference. Like suddenly if you've got Mackay taking the number one forward, suddenly you've got a, a 205 centimetre player who from the sounds of it is still pretty agile that's able to take on second uh, tall forwards um, or resting Ruckman. Um, and it, it does sound like he's going to be a lot more agile than the majority of, of resting Ruckman. So we can gain an advantage there. I think I've been a big defender of, of Jane Laverty and, you know, I, I think I'm higher on him than others. I think he's underrated by the Essendon fan community in terms of what he's done as a defender. Uh, so I think if I didn't, if I didn't pick Reed, it would be Laverty. Um, I would pick him ahead of, of some other options there. Uh, but I think the last couple of weeks of training and, and what we've heard and and what's been shown by the way in which the coaches are preparing him, uh, I think he's the, the number one option going into round one at this stage. How about you? Did you have to consider it very long? No, I didn't. I... Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of of his, and you know we hear great things, don't we? I, I I do know that there's a real excitement about the player that he can become, and if he's fit and and continues with the 
the preseason that he's having and can get through the practice matches, then, yeah, I think he he plays in round one. And, and the more games that he can play alongside McKay, and, and you touched on the work that they're doing at training, but then also Ridley is it does give us our three, you know, pillars. McKay's only just turned 26. Ridley's, what, only 26, give or take himself. So, you know, that, those two guys still have a long career ahead of them and, and Reid, or ahead of them, I should say, and Reid's only just starting out. So I think... You know, if we can get those three to play, you know, 16, 17, 18 games or more together this year, then that's a really good launch pad for our, our back six going forward. And and I think in McGrath and, and Redmond, we've got two locks down there as well. So, you know, that gives us a, a really solid back five to to move forward with who are who have all got a, a lot of footy ahead of them. So, yeah, I, I didn't have to think too long and hard about that one. All said and done, mate, you, you've got your six down. What concern do you have you touched on martin and his defensive you know prowess and and that's a fair point have you got any other concerns there yeah I, obviously by by going with zach reed you know you are going quite tall in the back line and i think it's, it's something we have struggled a little bit with in the past i think mid-sized forwards uh could still be an issue so you, you think of a player like a cam zerha um, I still don't think we have a great matchup for his type of player, although I don't think a lot of sides have really good matchups for those those mid-size mobile players who are really strong. So you think about how teams struggled to match up on Kyle Langford for us last year. I think we have we also have an issue in terms of being able to find the right sort of matchup for that sort of player. That said, they are fairly rare or, or the, the best ones are fairly rare in terms of, you know, teams having them and, and the, they're being effective. So, it's not always going to be a, it's always going to be an issue, but there will be some times where you think, okay, we, this player is going to be a problem because we don't have a, the best matchup for them. I think the other big problem um, you sort of mentioned that that Hawthorne have a few of these, and I probably should have taken this more into account when selecting my side, is that I think teams with multiple quality small forwards. Obviously, Collingwood is the standout there, but there are other sides, we you know, two or three small forwards that that are quite dangerous uh, because McGrath can't cover everyone. So obviously. Andy McGrath's close to, if not the best lockdown, small defender in, in the league, and it can be um, effective going the other way. Um, I think that that is potentially another concern there. Yeah, we've spoken about uh, Nick Martin needing to improve his defensive attributes. I still think it's a part of Mason Redmond's game that he needs to improve as well, because you're right, uh, McGrath can't cover everyone. We did see him do a really good job on on. Dusty in the Dreamtime game last year. So he's shown that he can actually, you know, play up a size and play on a dangerous, you know, medium, powerful marking forward and and do really well. And then we've seen him do really good jobs on those fast and, and agile small forwards too. But it, it, it is a little bit of vulnerability. In terms of that medium profile forward and, and Hawthorne don't have a, a true one really. Um, I, I've addressed that with my seventh defender for round one. I've gone with Laverde on my bench over, you know, the likes of Heppel, Kelly and Baldwin, who can all play that medium sort of defender role. The reason I've gone with Laverde, I, I, like you, think he's been a little bit harshly criticised. We've asked him to do really, really big jobs that, you know, we're probably beyond his sort of size grade over the last couple of years. And and I think he's held up, you know, pretty admirably in, in all of that. So we, we know he can play tall. So he's got the capacity to to cover, say, a Gunston or a Chol if if one of our three talls are on the bench through rotation or or Hawthorne run with a second ruck and, and and play a bit taller. And then and I think that's something that we don't quite get from, say, someone like Kelly. I think he he 
doesn't quite have the reach to play on a, a Gunston or a child that, that Laverto has. And then I also do think that he's got the capacity to play on mediums and smalls. So the likes of Bruce or, or Ginevan, I think he'll cope with okay as well. And and I don't think that Heppel or Baldwin quite have the agility to play that role. So, you know, I, I very much see that the back six really is a back seven and, and having that seventh defender on your interchange bench plays an important role in managing your rotations and, and giving you flexibility for, for different matchups. So for that reason, I've gone with Laverde as, as my seventh defender. How about you, mate? Who have you got on your bench that's going to come on and play that role? Yeah, look, it, it was between the one that you went with in Laverde and, and Dyson Heppel. Um, I know I mentioned the medium forward issue, and you make a good point, but if we're picking for against Hawthorne, I don't see it to be as big a problem against Hawthorne as, as other sides. I think the other threats are a, a bigger issue. Um I think I ended up going with Dyson Heppel, another one I think who's been much maligned for um, particularly unfair reasons. Uh, and I, he's probably had his best year last year since moving out of the midfield rotation. So the last three years, I think he's been sort of playing that halfback role. Uh, and we saw multiple times last year that his calmness at the end of tight games, so obviously the Dreamtime game last year is a standout. It, it really helped us get over the line. Um, and I would look to reward that uh, in round one. We know just based on him that he's, he's going to be one of the hardest trainers. So it's not like you're rewarding someone who's not putting in the work on the track. And then that sets the challenge to players like a Laverde or um, others like a Cox or a Baldwin to outperform him, to win that spot off him. You know, really setting those those standards that we we want the, um, the club to live up to. Yeah, I think this is one area of the ground where, uh, to be honest, I, I gave the, or had, let me rephrase that, I had the least, amount of trouble landing on a on a six or a seven I, I found this part of the ground a relatively straightforward exercise but but when I looked at the names that I left out I, I was also left wondering or thinking that you know what come selection night on uh, ahead of round one and and you know when Twitter or X really explodes because everyone's you know ultimately every Essen fans unhappy with the team that we pick I'm going to be reasonably comfortable with the the seven that we go with, whether it's, you know, Laverde, Heppel, Cox, Baldwin gets that sort of last spot. I think the other, the six that we've both mentioned on the ground, uh, maybe not read just yet, but certainly five of them are, are certain to to line up there in, in round one. And yeah, it, it's been a while since I think I've felt that way about our back, our back line. So I think we've got some real depth there and, um, and yeah, it has come a long way from, from where it was. Well, let's, um, Let's leave the defenders behind us, mate, and um, and go to the engine room. Again, we've both gone with a relatively similar lineup. This time we've got one exception. So uh, we've both got Durham and Dersmer as our starting wingers. We've both got Parrish, Merritt, and Setterfield in at the centre bounce. However, I've gone as with Goldstein as my starting ruck. You've gone with Draper. Talk me through your thoughts, mate. Look, it's it's much of a muchness with, with the ruck situation because I'm going with two rucks. Uh, which I know that you're not, spoiler alert, for the rest of your side. Um, because whilst I think Drape, Draper seems to be ahead of schedule and, and participating, and I think I think he provides more of a point of difference than some of the other options that we'll get to later. And this will have a, a roll-on effect to my forward line. Um, and having him in the side, even if he can only ruck for, say, 60% of a game, uh, I think he's going to be more effective for the side than what you will get from the other potential options that we'll discuss when we get to the forward line. But that also means you need to have ruck support for him. And so that's why I've got Goldstein in the side, which we'll, we'll get to down the track. Um, 
So I think I would be getting him in and making sure that he's he's playing minutes. If Obviously, if he gets through those practice matches, if he doesn't play in those practice matches, then I, d- I don't see him playing round one. But if he, he gets into those practice matches and gets a decent hit out, I can't see them not picking him. Uh, and we saw last year that he's really developed as a forward line threat. Uh, and that can also... Uh, free up some other players to get dangerous as well because teams aren't going to be allowed, able to just leave a, a lesser player on him because we saw, for example, the Melbourne game when he could be really dangerous in that forward line. So that's why I've gone with with Draper. Again, you know, you could have the two ruck situation and Goldstein could be be first ruck and, you know, the way teams are named isn't necessarily the way they, way they line up for the first bounce. But uh, that's why I've gone with Draper, particularly at the head of Brian because he, he's got that forward threat that, that Brian really hasn't shown yet. Yeah, I think that's all. Yeah, more than fair and reasonable, mate. I'm I'm all about balance, and and that's the reason I've gone with Goldstein and and Setterfield in my team. And yeah, you did uh, you did send out that spoiler uh, with uh, me only going for the one ruck, but I just think we balance up better with one. I'm okay using Wright as a second ruck option, particularly with what we saw with Langford uh, playing forward last year and and getting deep. So I think for for that reason, um, yeah, I've I've gone with just the one and and. You know, you've touched on it. Draper has had a bit of a delay, delayed start to the preseason, and, and whilst it sounds like he's fit and ready to go now, I want to see him fit enough to play as a standalone ruck before he comes into the AFL side, so that we can get that extra genuine forward or or running player into the into the twenty three. Yeah. Well, look, turning attention to the the rest of the midfield, I, I don't think anyone would be surprised that uh, we have Parish and Merritt in there. They obviously both select themselves as as first choice midfielders. Um, and I guess our, our third choice, which we both came to the same conclusion, uh, was was having Setterfield. Obviously, he was part of our midfield last year when it was functioning at its best. And, you know, he provides that real point of difference with his size. Uh, and if you leave a player like him out, you, you run the risk of teams with larger midfielders having little resistance if they get on top. He's the sort of player that can that can go sit on a, a, one of those larger big body midfielders um, and, prov- you know, really limit their impact. And, and that allows us to, to tr- try and get control back in games as well without it, you know, cascading away. I guess also with with Martin at halfback, the, the wing positions are pretty straightforward. Uh you know, there's a lot of real positive talk around around Sam Durham and even talk that he may move into the midfield. Um, he's seemingly come back fitter than pre- in previous years. Obviously, it's his third full preseason. I think I'm right in saying he was a 21 midseason. So I think that works out just off the top of my head. Um, so obviously, again, he'll be able to have bigger impact across, across the season, uh, not have as many... Being fitter will mean he doesn't have as many down games uh, as he did last year, although last year he had less down games than the year before. So he's showing that growth. Um, and the addition of Dersma, you know, we've moved Martin to half back, and, and that's what the addition of a, a player like him uh, does. It, it means we can put Martin at half back without losing uh, a quality player on a wing. And again, Dersma did seem to have a bit of a, a, a slow start to preseason, but he seems to be moving into high participation at training at the right time. Obviously, you know, they're not the only players that are going to be running through the midfield. I, I don't think we're going to go the Melbourne model with uh, the same four players, you know, taking every basically every centre bounce. Um, so with the players that I've got in the forward line and on the bench, I, I think at the moment I've got another five options that I'm pretty comfortable rotating through that midfield area. And that should hopefully prevent too much of a reliance on, on too few players. Yeah, I, just to touch on the wingers first, I'm I'm not at all nervous about Dersma's delayed start to the preseason. Obviously, 
would have liked to have had him there earlier than later. But he has a big engine. We saw that last season when he came into the port side despite missing a fair bit of footy and he was covering big kilometres. So I'm more than confident in picking him for round one. And, and as you touched on with Durham's improved fitness, I think we now have two starting wingers that can really run up and and, and back on, on repeat and, and cover a lot of miles to help both offensively and defensively. And, and in Durham's place now also get involved at the contest a bit more than we've seen in the past. And, and yeah, for Dersma getting forward and being a, a goal threat. So I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think those two, you know, for me at least at the moment, pick themselves. And then you touched on it. Setterfield just adds defensive balance at our midfield. He can take the body of a player like Jay New- Jai Newcomb, you know, who's who's Hawthorne's best midfielder at centre bounces and stoppages. And then that can let Par- Parrish and Merritt just do what they do best and hunt the footy. He can also, you know, use his body to to create space for those two. And 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 if he can do that for for Zach Merritt a little bit more than than Zach's probably been used to in the past. Then you know Zach goes from being not not just one of not just our best midfielder, but to to genuinely being one of the the more elite midfielders in the comp and and you know up in the upper echelon of players because he can he can use his foot skills to to real effect. And then we also saw some signs last year that that Setterfield can push forward and use his height to be a target and hit the scoreboard. He had 25 disposals, took t- 10 marks, six tackles and kicked a goal against Hawthorne in round one last year. So he really does pick himself for me. Hawthorne will more, more than likely use Finn McGuinness to tag and Zach Merritt was probably someone that he goes to. So yeah, again, just to, to reiterate the the same point, if, if Setterfield size at the contest can aid Merritt to find space and uh, against that tag, then yeah, I think it it really helps us and, and makes us a much better uh, balanced midfield than what we are without him. Yeah. Just on that last part about Zach being tag, I think we've seen over the last year in particular, I think Zach's really worked out how to how to beat a tag and, and not only him, but his teammates have worked out how to help him beat a tag. So I'm, I'm not all that concerned if, if Hawthorne does try and do it. We saw, uh, for example, against Carlton last year, they, they tried, you know, tagging him and, you know, they limited his effectiveness somewhat, but mo- him moving forward, you know, drag drag their tagger away and, and left him in no man's land. So suddenly, you know, Zach has shown throughout his career that he can be quite dangerous forward. And we've both talked about in the past that um, we wouldn't mind seeing him playing playing off, you know, the half forward line because he, he's still good enough to get involved up at the midfield, but also get get forward and, and be really dangerous. So I think it, it is a risk um, for a team like Hawthorne to, to play a tagger on him because we've shown that we can shuffle shuffle the cards and, you know, still have an effective, you know, midfield brigade. And that then also means that Zach is, is forward and being dangerous. So, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me um, if they fork, went forego the tag and, and tried to just go head to head with, with back their own midfield in. Yeah, could do. I guess the interesting thing for Hawthorne is that Will Day is likely to miss. He he won their best and fairest last season and, and was, you know, looking set to join that midfield full time. And then I don't think McGuinness plays if he's not being used as a tagger. He's, you know, he's played 32 games now, which so he's still early on in his career, but he's only had 20 disposals or more twice and he's only had more than 15 on four occasions. Um, uh, and, you know, he had 15 and 19 as his two biggest, uh, I guess, uh, disposal accumulations last year. So uh, he's sort of tag or nothing. So for that reason, I, you know, I think if he's picked at round one, we'll get a really good hint of, of what Hawthorne's plans are without, or picked at selection, I should say, for, for round one, we'll we'll get a really good early hint at what Hawthorne are planning with that midfield mix. Yeah. Well, look, that was pretty straightforward for us in terms of 
picking the same players. So let's look at the forward line. How have you gone about constructing your uh, your forward 50? Yeah, this is one where we've got a little bit more difference, don't we? And, and this is the part of the ground I found the hardest to get the balance right because we don't have a great depth of experience, small forwards. We've got uh, some medium-sized forwards who on form or sorry on talent pick themselves, and then you know some uncertainty around the the sort of key forwards or tall forwards and 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 what we go with there. So I, I guess to start with the four double ups, we've gone with Wright, Langford, Gresham, and Menzi. We, we've both got those four in our in our forward six. I don't think we need to touch too much on Wright and Langford. I, what I do hope is that they've used this preseason to build some unity in their leading patterns and and they become a a powerful duo once they have some continuity playing together i think they're both you know you know both of them have demonstrated they're capable of kicking 50 plus goals in a season and that gives us a a sort of one two uh punch that that can be pretty powerful once they've played some games together Menzies should speak for himself. Yes, people have left him out, and that's fair enough. He's gone under the radar a little bit, but he did. Um, uh, he finished second in our goal kicking last year. Granted, without a lot of competition, but yeah, and and I think he's really going to benefit from having Gresham in that high half forward role. We were let down a lot last year by the guys that we had in that in those roles not getting back out, get, getting up and down the ground, and and being able to help. They got caught in no man's land a lot. Gresham's not a player that's going to get caught in no man's land and and Menzi won't find himself having to, to, you know, run from opposition defender to defender to defender on transition. He's, he's going to have, you know, more than likely have just the one man to cover. And, and I think that's going to really help him get the best out of himself. So I think both are set for big contributions there. The other two that I've gone with are, are Jones and Perkins. I think Jones makes our forward line function better where Nine wins, six losses with Jones in the team in the last two seasons. Nine wins, 21 losses without him. So if you take that win rate over the course of a season, that gets you 13.8 wins. And that would have seen us finish um, fifth on the ladder last year just to to sort of put that win-loss ratio into some season-long context. And look, I'm, I'm not giving Harry Jones all the credit for that um, you know, far from it, but I do think he complements Wright and Langford really, really well. And and that's actually a, 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 I was going to say a threesome, um, maybe not the best choice of words, but but that's a trio that we haven't seen play together as a forward line uh, at all yet. Uh, obviously, Jones started last year, played the first five games and when Wright was injured. And, and by the time Wright came in the side later in the year, Jones was out injured. So I think, you know, we've got Peter Wright who likes to lead straight at the ball and, and sort of get uh, you know, pretty much runs straight for the the center circle if he can. Uh, Jones is really good at opening those leading lanes and, and creating space bef- behind him, and so I think he helps right. And then Langford likes to sort of lead back into pockets of space and and back in his his set shot routine and, and ability to finish from almost anywhere inside sort of the forward, you know, forty meters within goal. So, uh, and again. Something Jones is really good at is his awareness to to leave space behind him and drag an opponent out is is really really good. So I think as a trio they they can work really well together. We averaged ninety nine point six points a game last year with Jones in the side, seventy seven point four points without him. Again, you know, lots of things happened after round five uh, that that mean that we don't give Jones all the credit for that. Uh, but and of course he's still got things to work on, like all players with thirty games to their name. But he's come back bigger and fitter, so I'm backing him in. 
And then I've gone with Perkins as, as that last one. Uh, he's one I'm predicting to have a really big breakout year. I think he's got the gains under his belt now to take the the next step. He's he's going into season four. He, he's seemingly had a, a big preseason. Like Gresham, I think he'll play a bit higher. I also think he'll... Uh, I've got him as one uh, in my midfield rotation mix as well. Uh, so I think what Perkins does have is an ability to get in behind defences and be a marking threat and do more damage at forward stoppages than some of the other options that I, I thought about for that position. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's how my forward six landed, mate. How did, how did you see it with those last two spots? Yeah, so I think just, just firstly, you mentioned Perkins and he's going to turn up on my bench and I think he'll play a fair bit of time forward. I, I think, again, another one who... I think, again, people don't quite understand the role he was playing and that he's actually really effective in that high half forward role. It's a very difficult role to play, but we we saw last year just how effective his, his kicking inside 50 was in terms of uh, turning that into a score. So he's, you know, I've got him as my seventh forward, which we'll talk more about when we get to the bench. But I think the two differences that I have uh, compared to you is that uh, I've named Goldstein in, in the forward line uh, and I've also got Jake Stringer starting on the ground, uh, probably in the, in the role that Perkins uh, is in for you. Um, now I hinted at this at, at Twitter, a bit of a, a trick question on, on Twitter I posted before, but um, we spoke with Rick last week, you know, we said if they're going to pick a, a second tall forward, it, it seems like it's going to be between Jones and Caddy um, as a, as that second tall, although I guess third tall, if you count Langford as playing as, as that tall role. Um, because I've gone with with two rucks, uh, I think I don't think you can pick one of Jones or Caddy at this stage if you are going with two rucks. Uh, I'm I want Peter Wright, you know, playing mainly as a forward. I know he is pretty effective as that second ruckman, but. I think even last year with with North Melbourne, you know, they they played Tristan Zeri, you know, a lot. So I'm not sure Tol Goldstein is as capable of rucking out full games as as he was. I think he's still really effective and he, he does seem to be able to do it. But I don't want to be relying on him to, to ruck full games at this stage. And that's part of the, again part of the reason why I've gone with two rucks because you've got a, a Draper coming back from injury, uh, and you've got Goldstein who may not be able to do the full the full game by himself anymore. So that's why I'm picking two. And that means that I am leaving out uh, both Jones and Caddy. Uh, I think given this, have this season go on, you get Draper fitter, maybe Goldstein shows that he can do the whole, uh, the whole game by himself for, for periods of a time or periods of the season. Then I think that's when you start bringing in a Jones or a Caddy um, into that position, into that forward line. Um, and I guess one of the other things we've got as an advantage, I spoke about mid-size forwards uh, earlier. We've we've really blessed for quality mid-size forwards that are threats, uh, both um, in terms of marking ability and in terms of getting around the ground. So Langford, Langford is one, um, Stringer is one of the others, and, and then Perkins, who you mentioned before. Um, I think if you, you tried to fit, you know, Caddy and Jones into that lineup with with two rucks, then you're starting to cut one of one of probably Perkins probably gets cut out between Langford Stringer and Perkins. And I don't really want to do that. Um, and I think what all those mid-sized forwards do is it provides a variety of difficult matchups. Uh, you know, Langford is strong enough that he needs a key defender on him strength wise, but he's, he's smart enough on the lead and, and agile enough that it's going to be difficult for most of those sort of players to keep up with him. But I think, again, you sort of touched on a bit earlier that our small forward options, you know, still aren't quite, Said or it's as dangerous as, as a lot of other sides. Gresham does add a lot 
in that department. Menzi, as I think, had a good season, and as you as you said last year. But again, he's not. You know, people aren't teams aren't going into their preparation. Go, oh, we've really got to watch out for Jai Menzi. He could he could cut us apart. That he may develop that this year, but at this stage, you know, teams aren't all that concerned there. Um, and my other concern with the forward line that I've that I've named and, and I recognise this is that one of our big issues last year was our ability to move the ball up the ground and the lack of our, you know, get out marking option down the line. I think if you've got the two Ruckman, Peter Wright can play that role. He, he can move up the ground and, you know, be that that mark up the line option if, if we really need it um, and have Langford and, and the resting Ruckers they stay at home forwards. But um, I think you're robbing Peter to pay Paul if, you, if you're sending Peter Wright too far up the ground. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's an interesting debate, isn't it? Whether you get that extra tool from playing a genuine forward or you get it from playing a, a ruckman and and what you might lose when Peter Wright goes into the ruck if you only go with the one ruck as, as I do. I think the genuine third tall is important. I, I, I know Draper's been getting better playing forward and, and I know um, Goldstein has some capabilities in that part of the ground too, but I, I just think that that genuine third tall is is really important against Hawthorne. And, and I've gone, you know, I would have gone with Jones pretty much regardless of the opposition. I think for me, one ruck and three taller forwards. And I'm, I'm including Langford as a tall forward here, um, albeit he's probably medium in size. He plays a bit more like a key forward. Uh, I think it's really important that you force Sicily to play on on a player that's really dangerous. And, and I think he would have too much... Uh, fun dropping off someone who's who's potentially not as as smart as Jones, and we did see that in round one last year, where Harry Jones probably had his best game of his short career so far. He got up the ground on Sicily, then he pushed back towards goal. He, he hit the scoreboard. He set up a couple of opportunities as well. I think Jones is one that is also good at ground level. If we we think back to to round one, he I think he set up that goal for Menzi in in the first quarter that that sort of helped to get us going and get some momentum, and then. Sicily, as the game went on, tried to get a, a more suitable matchup. He went to Perkins. He went to Martin. Remember, played a fair bit of time at half forward and then even Caldwell. And each time that a player got dangerous on him and hit up the corridor. So I think we getting that mix of, of genuine smart forwards for me was really important in how we've approached this. So it was another reason why... Um, you know why I've gone with the one rack rather than than the two because I, I want to have um, some genuine forward craft as as often as possible. So, uh, so yeah, that's the way I went about it, mate. But um, speaking of Caldwell, uh, it's a pretty good segue into our interchange benches. We've touched on one of them already through our our seventh defender. But who um, shall we have a look at the other three? So, um, just to touch on mine quickly, my other three on the bench are Caldwell, uh, Stringer, and Hind. I think Caldwell does a few things for me. He can relieve Setterfield in that defensively minded midfield role, as can Perkins as well. So if it is Perkins uh, and we saw him do a really good job on Cripps last year, then Caldwell can can go in and play as a ball hunter, a la relief parish, or he can go to half forward and 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 I think he's he's got some um some forward craft there, you know, over and above someone like Hobbs. So he can he can rotate through there and, and he does have the capability to hit the scoreboard and, and get quite dangerous. And he's creative around goal. We've seen him kick some really nice goals over the last couple of years. So Caldwell's got that sort of flexible uh, midfield forward role uh, on my bench. 
I'm playing Stringer as a midfielder. Uh, I think one of the advantages of us playing with one Ruckman is we can ha- it gives us greater flexibility in how we use our bench and we can use someone like Jake at, you know, 60% time on ground and, and we don't have to run him into the into the dirt. Uh, he, he'll go forward, of course, and, and we know how dangerous he is there. But I think against the bigger bodies of the Hawthorne midfield, I like the idea of using Jake in the same manner we did against Geelong last year uh, when we played them at the MCG to play as that real aggressive midfielder in our mix and and not a midfielder that then drifts forward post-set of bounce like we, we saw under uh, Ben Rutten, but as a, a genuine mid playing as a midfielder. So, uh, so yeah, it, it was another part of my thinking in the one ruck over two is to have that flexibility. And then I've gone with Hind for the last spot. I, I want his pace and energy in the forward line and, and up and around the wings. I thought about Hobbs here. I thought about one of the Davies, but I think Hind finished 2023 in some decent form. Again, he's another one that gets some some unfair criticism. He gets some fair criticism as well, but I think it it probably borders on unfair at times. And I think he's got a bit of a point to prove. I think he can have a real impact rotating forward and wing and, and that pace against a team that has some really good outside run, I think can be important. Yeah. Well, same, same as you. I touched on my seventh defender when, when we talked about the defenders and, and I've gone with Dyson Heppel. In that role, also talked about having Archie Perkins, uh, you know, as that sort of seventh seventh forward and, and rotating midfielder. Again, you know, I think he's someone who's just every year he has improved. Like it's it's not like he's had second year blues or anything like that. I think every year he's added something to his game and he's become more consistent. Uh, I know people are desperate for him to you know break out and become a star of the competition, but also I think you know. General general improvement year on year is something also to be to be admired, and, and hopefully he can continue that at the very least in that trend uh, in twenty twenty four. I've got Hobbs and Caldwell again on, on my bench. They're both very interesting. They've both got a lot of good qualities, uh, but they also got a lot to work on in their games. Um, Hobbs is obviously very hard at it and, and really good in the contest, but he also goes to ground too easily, and that that puts him out of play. And so hopefully that's something he's worked on coming into this year. Um, and as to Caldwell, the gap between his most impactful uh, and least impactful games is pretty big at this stage. Um, and that could be in part because of the roles he's being asked to play. But I really think he needs to close that uh, that gap between his best games and his, and his least impactful games if he wants to push for a starting spot. Um, I have them ahead of Sardis and Shield at this stage. Shield obviously due to coming back for injury. And then I think Sardis has a lot more to work on his game than the other two do. But the great thing that having those two out of the seniors is going to be um, touch wood if by injury those those sort of players aren't, aren't playing in, in the ones that are in the twos is it, it's going to mean that the senior players are going to have a lot more pressure uh, on the midfielders to perform to the standard required to, to maintain their place in the side. And again, that's only a good thing for a, for a team that's looking to, to push on for, for final spots and, and you know, to, to be a premiership threat. Um, in terms of my sub, I've, I've got Nick Hind. I know you've got him uh, on the ground, but I think I've, I've got those other players ahead of him there. And from reports, he's been training forward this year. He has played uh, forward for the, when he was at the Saints. So he, he's moved forward a couple of times in the last couple of years. Uh, but I also don't think he's going to forget how to, to act as a defender. And so I think he can be a threat at both ends. And, you know, he's flexible for that sub point. And obviously his pace, introducing, you know, high pace at the end of games when other players are tied, I think is a really huge weapon to have. And as I said, he can have impacts at, at both ends of the ground. So I think he's he's a really good fit for the sub role if everyone else is fit. 
Yeah, I had some similar thoughts around pace when I went with my sub. So I've gone with Elijah Sardis for, for similar reasons to to what you mentioned, all things being equal, and, and he comes on as a tactical sub rather than a an injury replacement. I think him coming in fresh at some point after halftime when the initial sting is out of the game and with his running power and his speed, it can really hurt Hawthorne through the midfield. And and if that Hawthorne midfield does have a weakness, it's probably that it is a little bit one-paced. It is a young midfield, so he's going to be playing against guys that aren't much older than him. So I don't think physically he's going to have all that many issues uh, playing midfield against the Hawks. So uh, so yeah, I've gone with Sardis and, and I think we've got enough flexibility inside the 22 that if a defender or a forward was to get injured, we can adjust to cover and then we we don't need to go with an, a, a utility as our sub. So I've gone uh, with Sardis over Guelphie for that reason. You know, Guelphie is probably the one who who is a bit of a utility and can play multiple roles. Uh, and then it's the pace factor for me that gets him in over Hobbs. I, I want someone that can come on and, and really have an impact with speed and, and you know, and power. So so yeah, that that that's the twenty three, mate. Um, the players that that missed out, who who was who would you consider as unlucky? I think for me, as I mentioned earlier, Laverde is probably my most unlucky player. Uh, I think I would have, you know, I think if you ask me again tomorrow, I might might switch things around and have him in the side, whether it's that seventh defender or even ahead of Reed. If I'm, I'm concerned about Reed's ability to perform at AFL level at this stage, uh, probably you know. I'd, I don't think Sardis is unlucky at this stage. I think there's, there's players that are clearly ahead of him and it wasn't that hard a choice for me to leave Sardis out. Um, I know there's a lot of really good uh, word around Baldwin at this stage and how he's performing at, at you know, the sort of intra-club and, and match sim sort of performances. But again, I think other players have more qualities uh, or better qualities uh, in, in areas that we need that I think he, he starts out of the side for mine. Uh, yeah, I think those, those are the big ones. I think everyone else, there's, I think everyone else for me, there's a clear reason why they're out of the side. Um, look, there's, there's one big standout emission from, from your side uh, that they'll probably get people talking. Why was it that uh, Ben Hobbs was left out of your team? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll say from the outset, I'm a big fan of Ben Hobbs. So it's not a reflection on, on what I view of him as a player or his future, but just rather the balance that Setterfield gives us as a defensive mid that I don't think we get from Hobbs at the moment. And then the flexibility that Caldwell gives us going forward, which, you know, admittedly Hobbs has really improved in his game, but isn't just at that same level yet. I, I don't think it'll be long till we see him at AFL level if he's not picked in round one. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I sort of like the idea of keeping it, a player like Ben Hobbs quite honest and and really forcing his way in. I, I think it could do his development a lot of good actually to 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 really have to to earn his stripes. Uh, and then down back, you know, Baldwin, Kelly, Heppel and Cox, you know, they miss out. As I've touched on, I think we need to get games into Reed. He can really transform the shape of our list if he becomes the player that we think he might. He's got the height you touched on. He's got foot skills. He's got a great footy IQ. He could play the, be the player that sort of Darcy Moore is for Collingwood who can both play on a, on a high-quality key forward but also come off them and, and intercept in the air. He's starting to get the body to match, and, and I think we just need to get him, McKay, and, and Ridley playing as many games as we can. The flexibility of Laverde for me, as I touched on, to be able to play sort of tall or, or medium or small, that I don't think Baldwin, Heppel, and, and Kelly quite have season getting over those guys. But like I said, any one of those three could have could come in and play that role. And, and I think that's a, a real positive that we're, we've got that depth there at the moment. 
And I'm happy to see Cox play a month of the VFL and just get some real form under his belt. And, and hopefully, unlike the last couple or, or even his career so far, he's sort of come in when he hasn't been, you know, necessarily at his best. Let's bring him in when he's confident. I've left Draper out. And by extension, Brian, I want to see Draper peaking in the second half of the season. We've got Goldstein to give us depth. Let's use it. Build Draper's fitness base up and and um, and make sure he gets through the season and, and he's running on top of the ground in, you know, in ideally in September, uh, rather than what we saw from him last year where he broke down towards the end. I think all in all, the signings we've made, you know, particularly Gresham have relegated Guelphie to a really good depth player, having someone like Guelphie, who's no longer considered part of our best 22 or, or or one of our first picked, I think is only a good thing. We know that he'll work really hard to, to keep everyone honest. And, you know, as I said last week when we had Recon, I'm not really in a rush to see Caddy. I, I want to watch him play, but let's let him play some games against adult bodies in the VFL first. And then Alwyn Davies, the only other one we've seen it previously at AFL level that I've I've left out and uh and yeah for him I just went with Hind and, and his experience and flexibility um over the top of Alwyn. So yeah, I think excluding Sheil and Wanganine, uh, along with Hunter who we've put a line through due to injury, uh um they're the they're the ones that have played senior footy previously that we've left out. And then I think just to, to close, mate, uh, with the improvements we've made to our VFL list, adding some senior bodies, we've added more coaching resources. We've got a healthy list at the moment. Touchwood, it stays that way. I think we we can drop the stigma attached to playing VFL now and, and see VFL as a real positive. And, and you know, it's it's hopefully become an environment where our young players can go. They get some protection. They're not asked to do too much and they can really develop their craft and, and ensure that when they do come in and play senior footy. Um, and, you know, keep in mind, if we go with something like the teams that we've selected, they're also going to be playing alongside Guelphie and, uh, you know, Kelly and, you know, Heppel or or, or Laverde or, or one of, you know, those kind of guys. It, it, it is a much stronger VFL side than we've stayed, seen in the past. So I think it could really be the making of some of our young players, perhaps more so than it has been in the past. Yeah, as you say, you know, We've spoken about it a lot that that VFL program is is almost critical to the success of the side going forward. And as you say, if there's there's competition and there's a, a VFL program where these players are actually learning things, you know, we've had to play young players in the AFL side so that they're actually getting the right experience. Where whereas if they were playing in the VFL side, you know, they're not really learning anything. So if we get that program where that excellence throughout the club um, permeates down to the VFL, then again we're, we're going to be looking at a better chance of success in the long term. Well, as I, as I said at the start, we did this exercise last year and, you know, again, going through it this year, do you think it's been harder this year to pick a side or do you think there are less spots up for a debate given what we learnt uh, last year and the players that we brought in? Yeah, a little bit of both in, in different parts of the ground and for different reasons. I think it was certainly trickier to nail the last sort of six to eight spots than last year. I think we know a bit more about our younger players than we did 12 months ago. We've improved our depth through the acquisition of those four experienced players that we've added. And at least at the moment, our, our list is in pretty healthy shape. So yeah, I, I think uh, it was probably easier to to pick say 14 or 15 players. And then, and then it got harder due to getting that balance and, um, and, and, you know, yeah, getting that balance right and, and getting the right mix. So uh, so yeah, a little bit of both, as I said, but I'm, I'm sure I'll change my mind on a few of those once the practice matches, you know, come and go. And, and I'm really keen to see those before I, I really consolidate my thoughts. What about you, mate? I think overall I found it easier. I think 
there's more. I think there's more set spots going into this year. Uh, plus the recruits that we brought in, that they're, they're known properties and clear upgrades on on the alternatives in those positions. So I thought it was it was pretty easy to pick the first seventeen or eighteen. There were a couple of players that you know even if they weren't named on the ground were definitely going to be you know on my bench. So again, that made it pretty easy. So it was just those probably two or three spots, and then again going with the two rucks over, you know, one ruck and, and two tall forwards to go with Blankford, I think was probably the, the hardest thing that, that I did. And I think just for the, the purposes of this exercise, it was a good thing I did. Otherwise, we might have basically had the same side uh, going, which would have been a bit of a, a, a boring episode if we just agreed on everything. Yeah, no, that's true. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to, to have the debate. And, uh, yeah, the, there's probably a few toss of the coin spots that, that any way we go, we're, we're going to end up with a, a pretty strong uh, player filling those last couple of roles. So, yeah, I think all in all, we, and again, you know, rehashing a, a, something I've said a couple of times now, I think the work that we did on our list in the offseason has definitely meant that our ceiling has, uh, sorry, that our our floor has got higher. We, we shouldn't expect the, the drop-offs uh, that we saw last year, I, I still think we're going to see some some ups and downs, but I, I would hope that those downs aren't going to be as low as as what they were in 2023. Uh, but I don't think yet we're going to have those. Um, uh, you know, I don't think yet we've necessarily completely raised our ceiling, and a lot of that's going to come from the development of our young players. So yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, mate. Yeah, I'm just, as as I said, I'm sure I'll wake up tomorrow and, and want to change two or three positions, but it'll be out in the world by then and we, we can't make those changes. Well, look, that will do us for tonight. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening and, and commenting during the week. It's always been great to hear from you all. Um, again, thanks to everyone who's uh, sharing and, and discussing the the countdown posts. We've, we've had some really uh, good engagement with with some of those in, in recent days. And I think there's, again, there's a few crackers uh, coming up uh, that I think people will really enjoy. Um, I'll be down at training on, on Saturday morning at the hangar to, to watch some of the, the match sim that's been happening. So, uh, if you're around, then come and say hi. Uh, look, if you're as introverted about this stuff as I am, you know, introducing yourself to, to someone you don't actually know, uh, hit me up on Twitter or, or and let me know where you are and, and I'll come by and have a chat or, or send an email or something. And, um, that'll, that'll help break the ice there. Uh, any final words from you, Jono? No, thanks. Uh, thanks again to you for keeping us organised and on track. Uh, you're you're definitely the the organised one of the duo, and I'd be a mess without you. So thank you, mate. Thanks to everyone who listened to our first show of the year, and, and thanks again to Rick for joining us. That was that was great fun and great insights as always. So yeah, looking forward to us taking on the Saints in a couple of weeks' time, mate. And um, I was going to say looking forward to getting down to Moorabbin. I'm not necessarily looking forward to going to Moorabbin, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to uh, seeing some footy, that's for sure. Yeah, well said, mate. Stay safe, everyone, and go Dons.